From Brown Cow Studios in Gallatin Gateway, Montana, I'm Ezra Graham. It's the holiday season, and in this week's episode of News Nerds, you'll hear some never-before-heard before-and-after discussions with two of our past guests. First, we'll be hearing from Lisa Napoli. Lisa is a former journalist turned author whose latest book is called Susan, Linda, Nina, and Koki, the extraordinary story of the founding mothers of NPR. We had two of the founding mothers on the program uh, maybe a month ago. You should check that out. Great interview. Susan Stanberg and Linda Wertheimer. Next, Scott Horsley tells me about how he started working in public radio in a conversation I had with him. Scott is NPR's chief economics reporter. It's Wednesday, December 29th, 2021, and you're listening to News Nerds. First up is Lisa Napoli. In the first part of this conversation, she is telling me about a message she received from a young Brian Stelter, now a CNN correspondent. So when I used to be on MSNBC... Years ago, I was a I was a correspondent there in the early days of the web, and uh, he reached out to me one day. I came back to my desk after I did my you know TV thing, and I had uh, an early form of instant messaging on my computer. And he this popped up like it was like a movie. It popped up, and I didn't know who he was. And he said, "Hi, I'm Brian Stelter. I'm 13 years old." And I watch you all the time on television and I want to be a journalist someday. And I was like, yeah, right. You're 13 years old. Yeah. I didn't believe him. So of course we kept talking back and forth and it turns out that he was 13 years old and now it's 20 something years later and he's a big famous journalist. So when you wrote to me the other day, the first thing I thought was, oh my goodness, Ezra is going to go who knows what he's going to do because Brian Stelter and I have been friends since he was a kid. And now he's, you know, got two kids of his own and he's married and he's on TV every day. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> we don't have, we don't watch television. So good for I, you. Yeah. So I don't watch the cable news, but I, you know, go back and watch clips from the day's news occasionally. So I'm not very familiar with those names, but I'm more familiar with public radio names and news, you know, newspaper names, more like Newspaper that. names. No, yeah. that's great to hear. I don't, I don't, I can't watch any of it, but it's just so interesting that he, that's all he wanted to do, you know, since he was younger than 13. Mm-hmm. So he made it happen, but yeah, it's not my thing. Yeah. It's like people who want to be actors. It's not my thing, but you know, if you make it work, it's good. This is my pile of newspapers I keep near my. <laughs> How did you get into news? Um, that is a good question, and I really don't know. I mean, I've been asked that question kind of a lot by different people yeah. over the past year, but actually, this is a story I've never told anybody except for my family. Well, I think it kind of started when I was younger, like five or six, when I took the baby monitor that my brother, um, that we used for my brother, who was then just a baby. And what I did is when he was not using it, I hooked it up and I had many broadcasts to the family when they came over and visited. So that's how I kind of 
I don't know, and I just like that as a kid communicating with people. Uh, and that was only audio, so I don't know. That's just the medium I stuck with. And then, I don't know, I've done other crazy things. I did other crazy things as a child. Like, I started this family newspaper where I basically ripped off all my family and made them pay me money, and then I gave them, like, one issue, and that was the end of the newspaper. But uh, that was my first That was my first glimpse of the news. I don't really remember anything any news from when I was younger because um, I, I don't know, you know, those oh, yeah. the first, first four or five years are just kind of foggy in, in your mind. But then more recently, um, I, you know, I, I've heard, I was hearing my parents listening to NPR a lot mm-hmm. in the car and I basically got um, this clock radio here. I'll show it to you. Uh, I have it in my room right now, but this kind of changed. It's over there, but it changed. It changed my. Here, I'll get it really quickly. It changed my perspective because, uh, that was the way I listened to NPR and other programming on the radio. Um. It's like a. I couldn't see. I think it, I saw. This changed my life right here. Oh, that? Just one of one of these, like the $10 things that you get at. I got it at Ace Hardware, I think. And that, uh-huh. And that's kind of how I got turned on to the news, I guess. Wow. So it was partially your parents having it in the car and partially yeah. being able to wake up and go to yeah. Do you go to sleep with it too? Uh, occasionally. That, well, NPR has... More, uh, not they don't have news on at that time, nine ish. They have more classical music, and uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, or some other kind of music. I'm not a very f- big fan of music. Mm-hmm. And then I also have your ebook pulled up that I can't show cool. you now, but I've been reading that. I could not get, I've, I've only gotten to the second chapter of the NPR book. But I've got, I've listened to more than half of the Bhutan book, which I'm really enjoying. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, it was really quick um, that you got back to me, which I thank you for, because you're one of the quickest people that has gone back to me, and I often have to wait. But I just have been listening to that, um, and I have been really liking that. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... It's an amazing story to think about a place that just didn't have any media in it. It's hard for us to imagine. Oh, you're doing your pillows. That's well, good. Yeah. I'm. Do you know what what these do? Oh me? yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah. No, definitely. No explanation needed. But I do not have a microphone set up, actually, and I have. I don't own a microphone, and I just use these. Um, <sighs> But I am getting a microphone soon. I have almost the funding for a new uh, Excellent. microphone. What you're doing is good. And I read about, I read the article about you. But this is what some of the NPR people do. Like right. if they're in Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. you know that? Yeah. yeah. That trick. Because that way, and that, they do that only when, they, they don't that's do that when they're having now. Does they're, it sound much? Much better. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's like a blanket that you have on your room or a shirt or anything. So it's it's just incredible. But here, let's try this too. 
I just want to, since we're messing around, let me see. One second, I'm gonna get something too. Sure. Okay, so now I don't want to mess up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Both look like we're uh, like in camping or something like that, right? Okay, I think I can hear the difference even now. You can? I think I can even uh, when I'm not, yeah, I'm not on the other end of a Zoom call. I can hear it, but uh, I, I think it sounds a little bit like I'm in a very cramped space with not very much room, which I am. Right, right. So like you, you would, sorry. might need to adjust it a little bit. Coincidentally had an NPR month with Bill Curtis, BJ Lederman, and then you. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been, I've had, especially, especially with, um, with Bill Curtis, like he mm. is a legend in, in the journalistic sphere. I know. So I, yeah. And he, he's huge. He's not a tech guy. And he told me that, but, uh, he told me, he gave me some more tips and he basically said he has a very expensive, you know, sure. SM seven B, you know, another one of those fancy, fancy ones. But, uh, he also has this tiny blue microphone, but it was only a hundred dollars USB and it's this blue raspberry it's called. And he, apparently he's very impressed by what it sounds like. And it's this really cute microphone that, um, he has. So there, I, there must be not, not very expensive options. Um, but the difference is, you know, cause I, I'll pull my gear out if you want, we can look at it. It's, uh. I, I know a short, for a long time, people said that the, the microphone for in-studio was a, a certain sort of sure microphone. Okay. Yeah. And that, the elect, yeah. Sure SM7B. I'm right, sure. right. And I've got another, I've got two and I'll look at them. But if you're not going out in the field, if you don't care about going out and recording the chickens or whatever, your parents or anybody, until you want that, I think that you really don't need the. So are you still in journalism or are you former journalist? Former, former journalist now using my skills to write books. So I'm not practicing journalism every day. And one more thing that I just thought. Which of. is good. <laughs> because I, yeah, uh, you know, one of your books is about Ted Turner and how he founded CNN Right. Um, so, um, actually, Ted Turner, his ranch is about ten miles away from my house. So we—that was one of my questions. Wow. So we see we've seen his buffalo, and we actually uh, one of my teachers at school works at on his ranch. So we are very close to oh. Ted Turner's ranch, and. Um, his land, and we often go up there for camping trips, um, and it's just a great place. Yeah, and he he's older now. I don't think he's well, but I wonder if he was around town a lot there. Yeah, well, he had a, a restaurant there too. I think he didn't does he? still. It's I haven't been there because we we never go out to eat. That's just something um, that is a very rare occasion, but. Um, it's Ted's 
something or other. Montana Grill. Yeah, Montana Grill. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've visited his website and just seen all the projects he's working on. And actually, like two months ago, I didn't even know that he founded CNN. So, no, really? That's so interesting. I just yeah, had so- this rancher dude who was about, he was in his 90s um, and, uh, you know, kind of staying away from the ranch now. But that, I didn't, yeah, I didn't even know that. I was kind of blown away when I found out that he, uh, founded CNN and Bill Seymourine, who mm-hmm. we'll talk about more. So you know him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw that in the book, the, the dedications. That is very cool. Um, it's cool that you know who he is. I'm sure he'd talk to you in a minute. Cool. Um, yeah. and one more question about the book. Um, this has been like Sorry. one of the things I have been wanting to do for like many years or no not many years just this past year which is to talk to nina totenberg nina totenberg and maybe susan um about you know being the founding mothers i don't know this but did you talk to them at all for the book or do you have you you've been in touch with them yeah in fact i'll i'll definitely put you in touch i'm happy to put you in touch with them but i actually have interviewed them a bunch of times since the book came out and I can actually send you links to that where we were all zooming, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's neat to hear them, hear their voices. And yes, I did talk to them a little bit for the book. Mostly it was from archives and stuff, but I asked them a lot of questions to fact check and stuff like that. But yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because Nina Totenberg is, because I'm kind of fascinated in Watergate right now. Oh, you know, Bob Woodward stuff. So uh, she is like one of the people who is, she worked at NPR and then she was one of the first people to work at NPR and she covered the Supreme Court, was a friend of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and um, also covered Watergate. So that's like a perfect combination. Um, and it's it's like very exciting. She's a very exciting Next up is Scott Horsley. We started talking about Don Gagne, NPR's national political correspondent, who is famous for his makeshift studios that he makes while reporting on the road. They're called pillow forts. Gagne is the king of the pillow fort, and uh, you know he's a um, uh, less less so during the pandemic, but in normal times, Gagne is is the ultimate road warrior and. Um, puts an awful lot of miles on during the course of a year. And he's a, you know, Marriott, uh, uh, you know, whatever gold platinum member or something. And, and, and they, the, the motels see him coming and they're like, okay, Gagne is coming in, get the pillows out. He's going to need the pillows. His, like I saw a picture of what he makes and they, I just do two pillows, but they're, yeah, his are extreme. Um, and so like when you're on, um, when you have an interview on uh, one of like Morning Edition or All Things Considered, is it usually like live or uh, like a pre-recorded interview? No, most, certainly for Morning Edition, they're usually almost all live. I mean, 
you may in Bozeman, you may hear it recorded because it, you know, they, when we do it live on the East coast, they record it and you may be hearing what we call the rollover for the mountain time zone, the Western time zone, but it's, but it's done, it's done live. It's it, you know, it, it airs, it airs live on the East coast. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I have two alarm clocks, like every radio guy needs to have at least two alarm clocks to, to get up at four 30 in the morning to be on it at 5. AM. The nice thing is if we have a pretty sunrise, like we did a couple, couple Saturdays ago, I was up at, up at 5. AM for the, for the morning podcast and, and morning, uh, morning edition segment. And I took the dogs out for a walk and got to enjoy a gorgeous sunrise. So there are, there are some compensations for having to get up that early. Yeah, we de we definitely get the rollover then because we get it at five, then an, another uh, then yeah. the second hour is at six, and then uh, the first hour is again at seven, and then yeah. the seconds again at eight. So I always now now for example on on this past Friday, um, I was on at five thirty a.m. to preview the jobs numbers five five thirty Eastern time. And that reran at 7.30 Eastern time, which would have been 5.30 your time in, in Bozeman. But then it, and then it would have run, uh, uh, but, that, but then by 9.30, a, we upped it at night, you know, the, the actual report came out at 8.30 showing, the, as I say, the weak job numbers and the, but the strong unemployment rate numbers. So we updated at 9.30 Eastern time. So if you happen to be listening at 7.30, in the mountain time zone that we were up, we were, it was a get, it was once again live. So the, the first version you heard might've been a rollover from our 5.30 Eastern time, but then we updated it 9.30 Eastern time, 7.30 your time. And you got to hear that live probably. Yeah, that was definitely the one I listened to because I'm definitely not a morning person. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, just as I'm like brushing my teeth and getting ready for school, uh, I'm, I listened. Yeah, I remember that on Friday. I listened to that uh, report. Usually, you know, we 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 know the report. The report comes out at eight thirty Eastern time. We usually try to give me a half hour to an hour to kind of digest it and figure out what the heck's going on and think of something sensible to say about it. I have to, I have to write a digital piece about it too. So we put something out on the web at right, you know, eight thirty five a.m. or something, and then I turn to morning edition and try to write something. But we but. If, if we know we're going to do that, we'll usually try to kind of hold the real estate in the morning edition clock. So they'll have me come on for three and a half minutes in it before the numbers are out to just say, Scott, what do we think the numbers are, are going to be? Because otherwise they would have some other reporter's story on about some other subject. And then when the numbers came out, they'd have me come in and I'd have to bump, they'd have to bump that other story. And they don't like to bump the other story, so they kind of have me come on and do sort of a placeholder piece for three minutes in the in the early morning before the numbers are out, just to sort of say, well, here's what we think it's going to be. And I think my track record has been reasonably good in recent months, but definitely this last Friday was a surprise. And we 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 thought it was going to be half a million jobs or north of that, and it came in well under that. So, but as I say again, it was a, it was a it was a mixed message because the the numbers from the payroll survey were, were not good, but the numbers from the household survey were very encouraging. How did you how did you get a job at NPR? Well, I started out kind of like you. I, I worked for my local radio station. Um, 
I, so when I was in high school and I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and I, I, uh, there were two, two local commercial stations that, that, uh, kind of competed for listeners. And one of them st- started up a call in show with it. They wanted to have a couple of teenage hosts and I auditioned for that and I didn't get the gig. Although I had kind of, it was fun. We had the, the, the auditions were on air. So we got to go on it. I, I got to be on the radio for a little bit to do the auditions and it was a call-in show. Uh, but they, they went with a couple of other candidates, but then the rival station decided to start up their own show kind of aimed at young people. And theirs was a magazine show. It wasn't a talk, it wasn't a call-in show. It was a kind of more of a news magazine, more like morning edition or all things. So they needed more people. It, it's more, it's more labor intensive to produce a, a news magazine. So anybody who kind of wanted to work on it got to got to work on it. And there were there was a gang of us, maybe ten or twelve of us, that put together this show, and 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 it was on. It aired at some ungodly hour, like five thirty on Sunday mornings or something like that. Um, we we didn't do it live. It was on tape, and but we put it on tape. And, and and but even though it was at a terrible time slot, I used to hear from my neighbor who was an insomniac. Oh, I heard you on the radio, or my scout buddies who were hunters they would say oh we were driving up to go hunting at 4 30 in the morning we heard you on the radio so it was very encouraging and i i enjoyed it a lot and then i i just kind of kept at it and uh uh i i had a i had a one of my early jobs at i actually worked at npr here in washington as a as a tape cutter i would i would edit edit the tape of the interviews and you know kind of kind of scut work and and uh but I learned a lot and listened to some of the very talented reporters they had at the time. And then I left and went off and worked in commercial radio for a while and kind of, you know, worked in smaller markets and, and moved around the country a good bit and finally made my way back to here. And they, uh, in, in a moment of weakness, NPR decided to give me a, give me a job and been here ever since. Were you editing like real tape? Cause uh, I have, yes. Yeah, it was, it was, I, but yeah, we, we, some of us old timers still refer to the people who, and they have, you know, we have very talent, like you, you mentioned the, the, um, the 12 days of Christmas inflation story I did. A very good producer on Morning Edition named Zaid helped produce that story. Uh, and he, he mixed in the music and the interviews and stuff to make it sound uh, the way it sounded when you heard it on the radio. But he was doing that on a multi-track computer program, maybe similar to what you do when you produce your podcast. That's audacity. Uh, Just yeah, he. I mean, we we use we use a proprietary program called MTE, but it's but it's it's similar to what Audacity or any any kind of multi-track program, any digital uh, editing program. But when I was starting out, um, we literally did this. If you wanted to do that, a mix like that, you would. Literally, you would record all the elements on quarter-inch open reel tape. So you know, my like my interview with the guy, the the woman from uh, PNC Bank, would be on one, and you'd have Perry Como on another reel, and then you would have a different version of Twelve Days of Christmas on a, a another machine, and you would um, you, you you would splice you would you know splice the bits you wanted. You have leader tape between them, and then you would back time the reels so that you'd start one reel to reel deck playing. And then when you want the other one to sneak in, you'd start that one and you would fade it up. And then you have a, you'd have a fourth reel that would be recording this whole endeavor. <laughs> and, it, and 
you know, it, it, you've probably, you know, on, on a digital thing, on digital multi-track, you can kind of move things around. You only kind of got one shot, you know, if you didn't like it, you just go back to square one, start all over again. But it's the it's same basic concept, but it was much more labor intensive when the old reel to reel days. <laughs> it was good for me because, because it was labor intensive, they needed, they needed more people to do it. And they, they were willing to pay me, you know, $5 an hour or whatever to come in and splice tape. And Yeah. I talked to uh, Susan Stamberg and Linda Wertheimer uh, two oh, weeks yeah. ago. Yep. And they told me that they have, they have so many stories. They're just like such cool people. Um, but they, they told me that some people that edited tape all day had uh, bloody hands because they just were, you know, you know, working with the tape so much. And they also said that one day they had a report come in because everything was just on tape. So they'd throw the tape over to the people that were hosting. They'd put it in real quickly because in those days they didn't, you know, they didn't have consistent, uh, you know, they didn't have very many reporters. They didn't even have chairs in the first little bit. Uh, because oh, yeah. It was taking up all the funds from the Public Broadcasting Act. Well, I never, had, I never had bloody fingers, but I would always have a grease pencil behind my ear that we'd use to mark the reel-to-reel deck. And I, I remember editing a Howard Burkus was covering it. You, you mentioned you were from you. You had lived in Utah, so Howard Burkus was based in Salt Lake City, and I think Salt Lake City was was execute somewhere somewhere in Utah. They were executing their first prisoner since the Supreme Court reinstated capital punishment, and. It would have been, it was probably carried out just after midnight mountain time. So it was probably 2 a.m. our time or something. And Howard Burkus was at the at the penitentiary where they carried out the execution and they had to probably drive back someplace to file the tape. So he was filing at, you know, three or four in the morning, our time, East, East Coast time. And the in those days, morning edition started at 6 a.m. And he had all these interviews and he he's feeding in the tape and we're, we're recording it in Washington and he wanted me to cut it down and kind of have this montage of people who were protesting or demonstrating for or against capital punishment outside the penitentiary. But I was still cutting the tape together when the report started. So he had, you know, he had some narration and then a couple of actualities and then a more narration. And I had only finished editing the first little bit of tape when the when when his segment of the show started so we like ran the reel to reel of the first two cuts in he starts talking he's actually in the middle of the story and i'm i'm still editing the last part of it <laughs> and ran that in it was it was it was the kind of thing that would make your blood pressure go up for sure yeah they said that one day they had a report come in and they put it in and they they put it in backwards so they put it in oh yeah but then it sounded even worse. it sounded even worse when they put it in the other way, and they found out that it was Russian. <laughs> <laughs> so they were just really cool people, and I feel like whenever I talk to anybody from NPR, they have so many stories. So thanks so much. Well, very good. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Ezra. I wish you the best of luck, and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch.
was part of my extended talk with NPR's chief economics correspondent, Scott Horsley. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. While you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Another way to listen is by listening every other week on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KJVM, Community Radio, for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KJVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream. <laughs>